just like, okay, let's just have a real talk, real talk,、uh, no censorship. Welcome to the latest edition of Boiling Frogs Post Roundtable. In San Francisco, I'm Peter B. Collins, and we do apologize. We'd hoped to bring you a video podcast today, but the electrons are not dancing the way we would like. I'm joined, as usual, by James Corbett, who hosts the Corbett Report and is also the proprietor of the EyeOpener video series here at BoilingFrogsPost.com. Guillermo Jimenez, the、uh, proprietor of Demanufacturing Consent, and he also has his own podcast at TracesOfReality.com. And our publisher and major domo, Sibel Edmonds, the author of the important book, Classified Woman, and of course, the proprietor of BoilingFrogsPost.com. Welcome, everybody. Hello, everyone. Hey, hey. thanks for having、doing? us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we can't see each other, which uh, is uh, you know, a little bit more difficult as well.、Uh, today, we're going to talk about political labels and how meaningless they are in many respects, particularly the way they are used to depict partisanship in mainstream media. And we're going to, in a kind of confessional mode, Uh, describe ourselves for you, and then discuss whether or not these terms have much meaning either to us or to you as the viewers, listeners, and readers of boilingfrogspost.com. So I'll step up and uh, uh, define myself first.、Uh, I, have, I, I would call myself a recovering liberal Democrat.、Uh, I left the Democratic Party in the 1990s. And briefly registered as a Republican so that I could、uh, participate in primary elections here in California. And it was my kind of、uh, personal effort to defeat some of the most extreme、uh, conservative Republicans who were running at the time. And I now、uh, hold the status in California, which is called NPP, for no party preference. And we used to call that decline to state. So,、uh, technically, I am non aligned. I am an independent.、Uh, I consider myself still a liberal.、Uh, I'm not offended by that term, and、uh, I know that it is toxic to many people, including those who are probably leftier than I am.、Uh, so, I would describe myself as a, an independent who you know, tends to vote Democratic but doesn't like to be taken、uh, for granted by the Democratic Party. And of course,、uh, I have been、uh, a sharp critic of the Obama administration, which puts me into an orbit、uh, all of its own, given my background. So that's a quick sketch of me.、Uh, James, why don't you go next? All right. Well,、uh, for my political background, I am, of course, Canadian. So I grew up in that milieu. And in that milieu, I obviously was a good uh, liberal uh, slash socialist, really. I mean, as Canadians tend to be. And、uh, that's just the context in which I grew up. And that was the political air I was breathing when I was younger. So that was basically the way that I,、um, that I came into to politics in the first place. And it was through that context that I、uh, eventually started to discover the, the information that led to the creation of the Corbett Report back around 2006. And that was when I really started to, to fundamentally question、um, my political 
tendencies and leanings and preferences um, as they they did not provide an adequate roadmap to the terrain that I was finding myself situated in. And that was specifically, actually, in 2006, it was around the time that the Democrat Democrats were um, winning back the the House um, in the uh, the, the uh, congressional midterms uh, during Bush's second term, and that was the point at which I I would have thought I would have presumed, of course, they were going to start all of these congressional committees and inquiries into the the abuses of the Bush regime and the the torture and all of these things, and yet I was hearing these crazy conspiracy theorists that I was suddenly uh, finding in the alternative media online saying things like, well, it's just two sides of the same coin and nothing's going to happen, nothing's going to fundamentally change, they're not going to impeach, all of this sort of thing. So that was really a, a kind of test that, that I went through at that point. And I, I still believed, I truly did believe there was going to be some sort of change taking place. When that did not take place, that's when I really started to question the two-party system, uh, or at least the, the two sides. Um, obviously, Canada is a multi-party system, but, uh, but obviously just tends to be the same two sides of the, the political coin. And that's when I really started to question that. Um, it's been an, a lengthy process of me trying to find um, a political footing that I can kind of kind of rest on as a bedrock and ultimately what i've come to is the uh, the understanding that what i'm uh, what i hold to uh, is the principle of voluntarism that is that voluntary association is the only um, ethical basis for political association and for me it is about the the underlying ethical basis of it because i've come to understand that any consequentialist argument for political um, affiliation is ultimately uh, is ultimately unethical um, unless it is based on the bedrock principle that people are free to associate in whatever ways they voluntarily choose to. Um, that's basically where I've arrived at, and I have a lot more to say about that. But it, let's uh, let's just move along to Guillermo so that he can explain um, where he's coming from. Sure, sure. Um, okay, so uh, I guess my political ideological evolution. Uh, uh, in my young adult life, I, I was completely apolitical, just apathetic to the system, just, you know, didn't really care much about what was going on because I kind of saw it as, oh, it's all pretty much gone to hell, so who cares? And that was where, <laughs> where I was coming from as a young adult. But then, um, you know, as I started learning more and sort of becoming more involved, uh, my primary motivation for becoming more active and involved and trying to speak out and starting a website and a, and a blog and a podcast and all that was just the realization of just how uh, seriously our civil liberties are in jeopardy. And how the war on terror uh, is being used to justify that erosion of our freedom. And so then realizing that that's pretty much the way it's always worked, right? Governments throughout history either exaggerate threats or, or manufacture them to keep a, a domestic population in check. So uh, in the United States specifically, we can track that, that progression of supposed threats uh, from the country's inception practically. And along with it, you can track the erosion of liberty. Uh, so if we if we look at just the second half of the 20th century up till now, it's been, you know, the threat of, of communism, then the, the scourge of drugs and, and now it's terrorism and the threat of, you know, Islamic jihadists or what have you. And so and so I start learning more about this. And what I begin to care most about is, is basically what is the U.S. Uh, doing abroad and how is it using that to justify what it's doing at home? The, the internal checkpoints, the militarized police, restrictions on speech, uh, no privacy practically, less and less due process. So as I'm looking around and, I, and I'm taking it in and I'm starting to reach out to people and talking to them about the issues and learning more uh, from them, I, I start to f uh, uh, find out that the majority of people that I'm, that I'm, that I'm talking to that care about the, the breadth of these issues, just, you know, the, the, the wide spectrum, uh, are aligning themselves with the, under, the, under the banner of libertarianism. 
And so I start looking into that and start studying that philosophy and what is this about, what does it mean, and learning more about uh, economics and things like that. So uh, in doing that, I found that uh, that's probably the closest that I've come to being able to align myself under a label. And I've said this uh, all, you know, many, many times on the podcast that uh, I really dislike labels uh, because I, I do think that they can be misleading, they can be misinterpreted, I think they can, they can give people the wrong idea, so I don't like being pigeonholed in that way. So I try and stay away from it as much as possible. So, I mean, my principles come from being uh, strongly anti-war, strongly anti-empire uh, building, strongly anti-police state and anti-domestic surveillance and so out of that that's sort of where I've been trying to uh, you know as closely as possible I can identify with that with that libertarian label although as we know that even within that sort of uh, ideology uh, there's many many differences uh, there are a lot of people who call themselves libertarian these days which I have uh, just no association with and wish not to be associated with so it's tricky uh, but again, yeah, like you, James, I could, I could go on about this forever, uh, so I'll, I'll take a pause and throw it to Sabelle, and then we'll, you know, come back, I guess. <laughs> well, and Sabelle, uh, just by way of introduction, uh, you have been tagged with about every political label available, <laughs> uh, depending on the perception of the person who is trying to tag you. So, uh, please, define yourself. <laughs> I think of, of the four of us, I have the most screwed up past because uh, I know uh, <laughs> James talked about, okay, well, I grew up in Canada and that's how it was. Well, I grew up in three countries. So I have lived in, you know, in Azerbaijan for, for a couple of years and that was during the Soviet regime. So this was under communism. So I have lived under communism. Uh, I have lived under monarchy for about, I would say, five and a half, six years, and this is during the Shah regime in Iran. Uh, and then from there, <laughs> I went to live under a Sharia regime, <laughs> the Islamic <laughs> Republic of Iran, uh, after the revolution there. In Turkey, uh, as soon as we came to Turkey, we went from some uh, anarchy period to a uh, military uh, regime because we had a coup, the coup d'etat happened in 1981, so we had the curfew, so we were, you know, it was a straightforward military regime. We had curfews, everything was done under the Turkish military. So I have lived under various hodgepodge of uh, regimes <laughs> and, and, uh, and the political climates um, for the first 18 years of my life. And uh, in the States, after I came here, Generally speaking, even before I came to the United States, I considered myself more, I mean, again, without the labeling, leaning towards socialism. And that was uh, what basically shaped my dad's view in, on, in many things. Again, he would not define himself a 100% like really socialist, but that was what I was leaning towards. And I came to the United States and uh, I always kind of stayed uh, independent. Uh, this whole party thing with Republican Democrats didn't, you know, make that much sense to me when I first came. And frankly, I was not really interested in uh, in the party politics in the states when I first came here. And still, most of my activities were concentrated, you know, outward in, in Turkey and what was happening in Turkey, etc. But as a recipient of uh, of imperialism, and that is during the Shah regime, you know, with the uh, both Brits and then the United States and to a certain degree, of course, Israel, 
And also in Turkey, of course, the coup was brought together between the Turkish military per order of U.S. So I have been a recipient of imperial foreign policy of, of the United States. So that has always been a major, major issue for me. And this is why I have always been a major advocate of non-interventionism. And by non-interventionism, I don't mean only you know, installing regimes and wars and, and installing dictators, everything that is considered interventionism. And that includes interventionism under some innocent labels like foreign aid and the military aid and the IMF and the World Bank. So in terms of international, U.S. international foreign policy, I've always been uh, described in one way, non-interventionist. And of course, just like Yermo, uh, civil libertarianism has been a huge, huge issue for me because, again, I grew up in uh, under regimes where my father was tortured. You couldn't write what you thought. And of course, especially since 9-11, what has been taking place here in the United States from Patriot Act to NDAA to, you know, NSA, et cetera, uh, civil liberties have been a major, major issue uh, for me. As far as political party goes, um, I, 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 I not only that I find it kind of um, cliche, but also very simplistic because a lot of times when I ask people what they are, you know, when they say liberal or, or Republicans or conservative, I mean, concert, conservative, being conservative means so many different things to different people. I mean, I can hardly find five people describing themselves conservative in the same way. And sometimes they actually oppose each other in views, even though all, let's say, five people consider themselves conservative. You know, and if conservatism is republicanism, well, you know, well, supposedly one of the principle has been a small government. And uh, if uh, George W. Bush was conservative Republican, we haven't seen government getting smaller under any Republican president, at least not in the last half a century that I have been paying attention in terms of the historical perspective. And the same thing is true for, for the other side, the liberalism. And, and these are the broad categories that we keep hearing. Oh, he's a liberal. Oh, he's a conservative. Oh, he's a libertarian. There are so many other uh, labels and categorizations that are popping up that are equally simplistic and equally confusing in terms of not having clearly defined definition. And this is one of the things I want four of us to talk about today. And that is, like, for example, what people mean. Well, what do they mean when they say, I'm a progressive? And if, and if you don't say you're progressive, you don't consider you're progressive or yourself, yourself as progressive. What are you, regressive? And that, these are the labels I really want us to chat about because I, mean, I have been really obsessed with this notion for the past six months, this progressive. It's like, what is it to be progressive? And, well, and how people, yes. Sibel, I, I think that we're in a kind of alternate universe now where we use these labels um, almost defensively. And so by calling myself a liberal, I'm really talking about uh, historical references because there's nothing liberal uh, in the traditional sense about our politics today. And the term progressive, I consider just to be uh, a marketing term that was introduced because Reagan and his followers demonized the term uh, liberal to the point where it became toxic. And so... You know, we often, I think, really try to define ourselves as, well, I'm not that. 
I'm not an imperialist. I'm not a police state supporter. Uh, I am not in favor of, uh, uh, you know, adding wars or using uh, the World Bank and the IMF to impose disaster capitalism on people. But in fact, there isn't a label or a party that uh, combines all of those terms that, that I just floated here into one easy handle. Have we got complete silence here? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, James, uh, how do you define, you know, the term progressive? Well, what it, does it mean to you? You know, it's an interesting question because it's not something that I've I've really consciously grappled with in the way that you have for the last several months. So I, I, I kind of just take it as a kind of assumed thing in my own mind. And it is interesting when I start to interrogate what, what I really think of. And I guess I, I start, uh, my, my strongest associations with the term would be back towards the so-called progressive era in, in American politics and thinking about um, really, I mean, um, people from, from Woodrow Wilson to, to Teddy Roosevelt and, and people in, in that vein. And um, in, that, in that time period, in that, in that milieu in which uh, progressivism was, was being defined at that time, I mean, there are, there are things that, that it's it tied up with that I find, I mean, completely abhorrent, including um, the, the eugenics philosophy, which was the rage at the time and was something that was a guiding um, sort of philosophy of a lot of these, these people, including, I mean, American presidents and everyone else thought it was just awesome. It was just great. I mean, we, we now have a scientific basis for decide, for describing, you know, why certain people are, are inferior and why certain people tend towards crime and all of this sort of thing. And it was, it was part of that kind of enlightenment ideal, I think, that, that scientific uh, inquiry and rational pursuit would, would be able to eliminate all of this by, I suppose, eliminating these people from the gene pool would be one of those answers uh, that we saw brought to its uh, inevitable conclusion in Nazi Germany. So, so I have those types of associations with the term, which is why I think I think I, you know, I, I, sh I definitely shy away from it. And it's, uh, although it has obviously changed and developed quite a bit since then, but I, I do see um, uh, problems with, with the idea of progressivism kind of built, baked into the cake. However, I do agree with you that it has been so widely used and abused and misused that I don't, again, I don't think you could get five people who all agree on what progressivism even means in its current um, climate. Um, and the people who I think would be most strongly associated with that idea in, in this day and age, to me, seem to be um, the people who have by and large become defenders of of the Obama state um uh, usually using the uh the the idea that well we have to defend it against the you know the 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 most vociferous republicans because you know that's that's the way that this works if we don't if we don't defend the uh the the people who are at least closer to our ideas blah 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 i think we all know how that kind of um, political uh, whitewashing works and and obviously there are people who do not fall into that category so i should be challenging my own perceptions and, and conceptions on that regard in that regard but um it's not something that i've devoted a great deal of time or attention to so um guillermo i'd be interested to hear your take on this subject as well sure um i know i, I Basically, I mean, I can, I can agree with points that all of you have made so far. And uh, Peter said something that really struck me, though, the idea of, of, of the label uh, progressive being a sort of marketing ploy. Now, 
Uh, something you said also, James, kind of plays into this, and that's the idea of, of these words changing meaning over time, which which all you know, all words do, but labels, uh, especially labels like conservative and liberal and libertarian, have, have uh, progressive. They've all meant different things at different points in, in history, and even in different places. The word libertarian means something completely different in Europe than it means in the United States, uh, sort of anarchist for that matter. So, I mean, uh, these these things uh, again mean different things to different people at different points in time. But the interesting thing, thing to me is seeing that develop – like this reminds me of the conversation we had last week about the words uh, alternative and independent. I think it relates because, see, if to my, to my mind, if – if Greenwald, Poitras, and Scahill, not to keep coming back to this, but if they keep calling uh, First Look Media independent journalism, right, using the word independent, and a vast majority of people out there uh, agree for whatever reason that it is independent and just go along with that, then guess what? Independent will now mean that. It'll, it'll change the meaning of the freaking word, um, which is what happens to these labels uh, as well. So I think that uh, the way that's, that Peter used the phrase progressivism to describe a marketing ploy, uh, I think that's very true because um, that's basically what these labels do now. They, they by throwing out uh, uh, by that label and calling yourself a liberal or conservative or what have you, you're trying to you know quickly and easily relate to others. I would think that's why you would you know choose to associate yourself with a sort of broad term is to kind of like put that out there and anyone who's listening says, oh, he's a he's a conservative. Well, I'm a conservative too, and we must we must have a lot in common, and I can sort of agree with most of what you're saying, and you know you you know pretty soon you're wearing the same colored hats and pins and the same flag or whatever, and you start a little club out of it. But that's that's kind of how I see that, how these labels function as, as an easy way to relate to one another. But and, and, to my mind, the they do the opposite. <laughs> and at Go the ahead, same Sabah. token, it does exactly the opposite. To, and exactly. that is, it yeah. is one of the best uh, tool for the establishment to divide people. Right. And to a, to a point where, as we talked about and, and James talked about, you are either with us or you're a terrorist, meaning you are either conservative or you are either liberal or you're either libertarian or we hate you, whoever you are, because you are not one of us. Mm -hmm. And this divisiveness, I've never seen it anywhere else working the way, I mean, I've lived in three, four countries the way it works here, in, in at least in this country, and that is the level of divisiveness when people, they don't even pause to think about, you know, how could they define themselves with one word? I mean, that, that is the problem I'm having because there are certain aspects of my life, you know, with my family life that I consider myself really conservative person. There are some aspects of my life that I consider myself truly libertarian. You know, like I truly despise the notion of strong, big central government. Uh, and, and then there are some aspects that I, that can be totally defined as, as liberal. And there is no way in this world, if I think, I believe, unless people have really devolved and they are almost back to being monkeys, I just can't see people to define their entire selfhood with some goddamn word. You know, I am this. This has actually become stronger than religion, you know, uh, among people. While people, they have learned to, you know, be, become tolerant of other, you know, diversity, race, and religion, when it comes to these uh, political categorization, they have become far less tolerant. They have become actually like rabid. 
Peter? Well, and, and Sibel, in, in today's context for me, if someone defines themselves as a progressive, unless they go on to modify that and separate themselves from the Democratic Party and the Obama administration, then, you know, I form a certain judgment about that. Likewise, if somebody says, you know, I'm a Tea Party conservative or I'm a, you know, a, a Bush Republican, well, those definitions, uh, you know, lead me to make judgments as well. What I will say is that I'm most intrigued by people who define themselves as libertarian in some way. And I, you know, thought that Ron Paul made important contributions to the presidential campaigns that he entered. I wouldn't support him because on balance, uh, his domestic positions, his, his pro-corporate, his pro-life positions uh, were, were, you know, in conflict with my views. But in today's context, I find more common ground um, as whatever I am, a, a dinosaur, liberal, independent, <laughs> non-aligned, with, with people who explore libertarian views because I think that they're most likely to think for themselves and to challenge authority. And I think those are two very key elements in the soup that we're in today. That's interesting because it brings to my mind the idea that maybe we should uh, be defining ourselves perhaps by our, our, our psychological tendencies or, or something else. I mean, we should be looking at it from a completely different perspective. And can you imagine that if we defined ourselves not by some sort of political allegiance or, or, or political groupings, but instead on even just an issue by issue basis? I mean, I, I would have no problem stating firmly and, and stridently and vociferously that I am anti-war. And I would imagine that everyone else on this panel is similarly anti-war. I I don't imagine there'd be a wedge between us on that issue whatsoever. So on that issue, we are, I, I would imagine, in, in if not 100% agreement on, on every possible meaning of that term, at least in enough agreement that we could obviously work together uh, against uh, all sorts of, you know, military aggressions. Um, uh, uh, similarly, we could go down the line with other issues about, uh, about mm -hmm. spying and, and things like that. And not only would we find an incredible amount of agreement and accord between ourselves, but I imagine, and not only again between the irate minority at BoilingFrogsPost.com, but between a, lo a lot of the population. And again, this is one of those things that um, is pointed out from time to time, that there is broad agreement by, by the American people in poll after poll on all sorts of different issues, and by people around the world even on a, on a lot of these types of issues, that uh, that people don't recognize because, again, it is always fed into this uh, political allegiance. So I think we have to break down the idea that we need to define ourselves politically rather than define ourselves based on the actual issues that we deal with within politics. Yeah, I also no, think I that television, pardon me, television coverage of elections, which reduced things to red and blue, um, <laughs> really provided this oversimplification that, that many people actually embrace. <laughs> hey, I live in a, a state of this color and I'm proud of it. And we know that in every red state there are a lot of, of people who aren't uh, subscribers to the red philosophy. And we know in every blue state there are people who take deep exception to whatever the blue policies are. And, and so some of this dumbing down is a product of, of corporate media and their efforts uh, to predict our behavior and, and our attitudes. 
Okay, yeah, well, no, I have sure. one I example it, I want to okay. I want to give, and that is what you brought up, uh, James. On okay, well, you believe that most people, because most of our you know supporters or even people out there, they consider themselves a lot of people. They consider themselves as anti-war, but there the saying goes like this: It says the devil is in the details. You know, our website, long before any of the mainstream media broke the story, broke the stuff on Syria and what we were doing and how we were getting close to war because we were setting up these rebels in Turkey against Assad, et cetera, et cetera. Remember that? And then it was your website that had the interview with some of our, you know, uh, our sources, et cetera. And during this time, the biggest attacks that we received as a website came from people who considered themselves really anti-war. In fact, ironically, the, the ugliest attacks came from these jerks at this website called antiwar.com. They said, oh, look at Boiling Frog's Post and Corbett. They are supporting a dictator, Assad. So for we were putting it out there saying, we are getting ready for war. Look, this is what the United States doing in Turkey, and this is the case. But guess what? The anti-war community turned that around and made us the friends of the dictators. Mm. So even that doesn't end up being really cohesive. Point taken. Yeah, no, that's an exceptionally important point. Uh, Guillermo? No, no, I was just thinking, Sonny, that that uh, your art, that that what you were saying, basically, James, was like the, the really good argument for for dropping these political labels altogether. I just think it's it is uh, awfully difficult for a lot of people to do that. I think what you were saying, Peter, about these, uh, you know, the, the red and blue state stuff uh, being over, overly simplistic, of course, and I think this, uh, the labels in general, like like this, are overly simplistic, and that's just taken to an extreme with the blue and red, but. Um, but yeah, uh, I I do think that we can find a lot of common ground, as you were saying, if we stick with 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 issue based stuff. Even if you are going to find disagreements, as Isabel was was pointing out. But uh, by and large, I do feel like if we take a, a issue by issue, uh, go down the laundry list of of things that we five uh, we have a a problem with or we think deserve more attention, uh, we can find common ground with anyone who would identify themselves as either a liberal or conservative or libertarian or what have you. Um, you know, the, the stuff about the NSA surveillance is a perfect example of that. The stuff that was going on uh, a few months ago in D.C. with that, that Stop Watching Us rally, there were a lot of editorials written about this, uh, a couple of them from Salon, a few other places about, you know, oh, look at what's going on here. Look at these strange bedfellows. This isn't right. Look at these, you know, good liberals associating with these, you know, uh, rascally libertarians. This is coming from Salon. And they were, and they were basically making the argument to their readers that if you uh, consider yourself a liberal and are anti-domestic uh, you know, surveillance or anti-NSA, uh, you should be careful about associating with those, with those libertarians. And so that's a perfect example of what you were talking about, Sabelle, the way that these labels are used to divide. And that's basically the, the way that they're being used now. Uh, like, as I said, you know, that's, I think that they were intended to, to bring people together and to relate to one another, but how they're being used by, especially by the political leadership at, uh, at both the Republican and Democratic parties, but even the, the, the so-called leadership of, you know, whatever sort of movements of progressive movements or a libertarian movement. Uh, if you look at the leadership of, of most of the stuff, it does tend to be sort of this divisive language. You're either with us or against us. You either buy into everything that I'm selling or, you know, you can't be part of this club. There is a lot of that. And I do take, I have a, I have a huge issue with that, which is why by and large, I, I just would rather not be labeled or, or, or anything like that with anything. 
But, uh, but yeah, I think looking at the issues individually, we'll find we have a lot of common ground with, with most, most, most people out there. Okay, I am afraid that uh, due to my schedule, I'm going to have to end this conversation in a few minutes, but um, okay. just as we're really getting going. But I wanted to throw out this issue at least before we go, because I think this, is, this comes down to perhaps part of what the problem is at a structural level. It, it, the reason that I think people cannot just accept someone on an issue-by-issue issue basis is because in the back of our minds, we have been programmed that we always have to be thinking about what that person or that group of people or what, you know, the people that that person hangs out with will do if and when they ever grasp that brass ring of political power. Once they get the ring of power, what are they going to do with it? Because it's not just going to be that one issue that you agree on. It's going to be everything else that comes with it. So it that speaks to Peter's point about Ron Paul. I mean, yeah, I agree with him on foreign policy and, and et cetera, et cetera, but I disagree on domestic policy. So if he got into the presidency, that would be a, a bad thing overall. Um, that that thinking is the political thinking that is hardwired because the ring of power exists. Because there is that centralized ring of, of power and authority that people are striving for, then we always have to be calculating about what everyone's total worldview is. And thus, we do need these labels in order to understand who is on our team and who isn't. If someone on our team gra grasps the ring of power, even if they're, they disagree on certain issues well at least it's our team with the ring of power and so, they can be trusted right exactly <laughs> of course no and, and that speaks to so many i think of the issues um that that we're dealing with that we're grappling with because obviously people will will understand how this works to to divide people on certain wedge issues but i think so many people are are wedded into this idea that there needs to be the ring of power there needs to be this central system that undergirds it all that uh, that that they can't imagine another way of organizing our society without that and because of the existence of that we have to have these political labels and that's an excellent point because uh, that that goes to more of a macro cause than a lot of these issues that we just discussed today were mostly symptoms and you just I think you just pointed to the macro cause and as long as we have that that uh, that in, in, in so many levels I would say it's subconscious that yes there is no way around you have the central powerful figure government because we can't even survive or exist without it and once you hold on to that notion even subconsciously and then everything else is measured in light of that that that's when we end up spinning in our own you know space and it's like well we end up coming going through this circle and going and going and we end up in the same same spot same exact spot that's a very good point James well, and, and James, I would add to wedges, um, <clears throat> the kinds of, of smear tactics and guilt by association that are used on all sides, where people say, well, gosh, I might agree with Senator such and such on this topic, but he or she aligned with so-and-so on another topic, and I cannot forget or forgive that. And, and we have gotten into a, a convoluted situation here where, you know, it, it's seen as, as inappropriate or um, almost uh, naive if you say, for example, from my liberal, slightly democratic perspective, you know, I applaud Rand Paul when he stands up for the Constitution, when he held his filibuster about the president's power to order a drone to kill somebody. And I don't have to agree with him all the time. 
in order to say that he represented my point of view at that moment in time. And we get kind of hung up on, on this uh, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word for it is, but the, the incremental approach where we're, we're always looking at, at, you know, side issues or, or other connections instead of saying, well, when this senator is right, I'll support him, and when she's wrong, I'll oppose her. I think we may have struck upon the real beginning of this conversation, but uh, <laughs> here we are at the end. So I think this might be a, a prime opportunity for us to pick up from where we left off uh, here next time. Um, but I'm afraid right. I'm going to have to get going. That's a good well, idea. We will pledge to our listeners that we will work on the uh, video stuff and hope to have that in place for our next Boiling Frogs post roundtable. And my thanks to James Corbett, Guillermo Jimenez, Sabel Edmonds, and I'm still... Peter B. Collins. This video is brought to you by the subscribers of BoilingFrogsPost.com. For more information on this and other topics, please go to BoilingFrogsPost.com. For more information and commentary from James Corbett, please go to CorbettReport.com.